We are I. I've had many brief thoughts over the last four days since I first heard this story about these people who are trapped in this submarine that were going down to check out the Titanic. And I guess it's just because I've been busy the last like, you know, four or five days that I haven't put too much thought into it. But this morning I had a a thought that I'm like, you know, there's a, a stepson of a billionaire and I would take it everybody else in there is quite rich because it's $250,000 a pop to be able to go down in this submarine and to be able to check these things out. And, you know, like this is labeled as that you were helping uh, marine biology in a marine biology study. Like you were a part of a live science experiment by, you know, going in this submarine down to the Titanic. Now, is that a part of the marketing scheme to make people feel like they're more important than what they are? You know, probably. But I don't doubt the, you know, million dollars or more, you know, that was charged for these these people to be able to go down in this submarine. The majority of that, you know, may or may not go back to actual science. You know, but those are just peripheral thoughts that I've had, you know, over the last three or four days. But the actual thought that I had this morning was, how long did it take them because like they knew within the first couple hours of this uh, Titan submarine going down to in the North Atlantic to be able to check out the, the Titanic. They knew within the first couple hours that this this boat was, there was something wrong. The submarine, like there was something wrong and they lost all communication with this submarine and couldn't get back. So how long did it take for the crew on this submarine to notify the passengers that something had gone wrong? And how long did it take the surface crew to notify the authorities that something had gone wrong? Now, we may know the answer to the question with the, you know, with the crew above, you know, and on top of the water that was, you know, in communication with the outside world. I don't know enough about the story if they've released any of this information. But let's just say, for example, that they gave it like a threshold test. You know, like, we'll give it an hour. But when an hour comes, like, do you immediately call the authorities? Or do you say, well, maybe we'll give another half an hour? Or does this happen regularly? And, you know, maybe there's a three or four hour window or a six hour window that, you know, they don't call because they regularly, you know, lose communication with this thing or things like that along those lines. So maybe they had a comfort level, you know, initially without having communication, you know, with them. You know, maybe this is all, you know, kind of a part of the process initially before you realize things go wrong. And I thoroughly believe that they probably knew right away that things had gone wrong and that there's just like another element to this. But then I started to think, I think one of the greatest fears that I have, and I know this from caving, 
and you know going with my buddies like deep into mountains into these tiny little caverns like no wider than your body and you're kind of shimming through them like how a worm would shimmy through the ground like you're kind of creating this path that's non-existent but just happens to be there's this crack in this rock that happens to be a mountain and when you're shimmying through this I get this feeling and this is the reason why I don't like this because I'm like this crack was formed because this mountain moved and when you when you're inside this mountain and knowing there's no way like if if for some reason this mountain moved subtly or something came loose behind you. There's no way. Like people aren't coming to help you. Nobody can save you. And you are trapped inside this mountain in this tiny little sliver. And even if you're trapped inside this mountain in a great big openest cavern, the the opportunity for people to rescue you when you go through these tiny little faults, these little seams in these mountains to be able to get to these, you know, places inside them. And one time that I was going through, um, you know, like this little seam is you had to crawl through and it was only as wide as your body. Like you were getting scraped on both sides of your body and I had to have one arm above me, one arm below me to kind of pull and push my way through saying that's how tight it was. We get to this one section and my buddy's like, okay, now you have to go underwater. You have to twist and turn and come back up to be able to get up on the other side. And I was like, there's no fucking way. There's no fucking way that I'm going underwater in this thing. Like you want, like I can barely move and you want me to go under the water and shimmy around a corner and then pop my head up on the other side of the water. I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm doing that. And so when I think of these people who are trapped in this Titan submarine, if you were one of the crew members on this thing, could you imagine having to tell these people, facing your own fear? Because again, if this is a regular occurrence that they break communications for a certain period of time, once that period of time goes or I feel like you would get the natural feeling that you knew this time was different because who knows what they're going through. Like, did it just free fall and descend to like the depths of the ocean? Did like how did that cable get cut? Why did they lose communication? I think the people in the, in the submersible, they know, but how and when does everybody find out? And then how does everybody react? Because I guarantee you in this little submarine where there was five people who paid, and I would assume there's one or two crew members in this thing, that there's not a lot of space to move around. They say they have enough supplies and oxygen to last four days. But what is that four days like? Because we're at five days now. I don't think that they're planning on coming back with people who are alive. I think that ship is kind of sailed. No pun intended. Because I think the time frames of the supplies that they had. Now, this might be one of those heroic situations where they might find this thing like eight days later. And there's still like one fucking warrior alive in that thing that just refused to die. 
But I think that it's past the point in time where they feel like they're going to find life based on the supplies and oxygen available in this thing. But being in that depth, because it's not like, you know, the I think the worst part about this is, or the worst part, one of the worst parts about this is being able to see outside and knowing you can't go outside. Like there's obviously windows in this thing. But if they've lost communication, I'm going to assume there's a 50-50 chance they've lost electricity. Well, then do you have light outside to be able to see? Because the being that at that depth, the darkness that you would see is the same darkness that you would see if you were inside one of these mountains. And I'm telling you, when you click off your headlamp on your helmet and you look out, you can't see your hand. You can feel your hand in front of your face, but you can't see it. It's darkness like you've never seen before. And there's this odd coolness. It's like this chill of death. So I could imagine that in this thing, it may or may not have some backup generators, but I can imagine that there's this coolness down there that you would feel that where you knew the Grim Reaper was just knocking on the hatch, slowly turning that hatch opening because you would know like if you were, if you had sunk to the bottom of the North Atlantic, how on earth would you feel like anybody would ever be able to rescue you? How fast can another ship or vessel or anything that can even go to those kind of depths? Like, how fast does it get there? Like, it's not like we're talking about ships. It's not like you fly something in and you drop it in the ocean and it can start retrieval. Divers can't go down that far. You need very specialized equipment that I would almost guarantee that's not really necessarily available in short order. Yes, you know, off the coast of Newfoundland, they might have something simply because they know things like this or, you know, adventure tourism like this at a, you know, insane degree are going down to depth. So they may have something close where you can go and you can see, you know, these, um, this Titanic and go through this experience and stuff. But, you know, really when it comes down to it, like that same vessel that might be able to try to retrieve you is like, you know, in Colombia or in Spain or Russia or something. And how long does it take to be able to get to where it needs to even start a recovery effort? So there's things like that. Like when you're sitting down here in this bottom of this vessel, knowing you're at the bottom of the ocean floor, allegedly, like I would assume that this vessel is not anywhere else because it would sink like a rock. But you're sitting on the ocean floor with like, Five, six, seven people freaking the fuck out, having next to no resources, knowing there's a limit to the oxygen you have to breathe, knowing that any recovery operation is probably days away. I can't fucking imagine what would be going through your mind. And knowing that you paid 
a quarter million dollars for this experience? Like how hard would you be praying? What kind of promises would you be making to every fucking God out there to get you out of this situation? Because this is not like you were driving down the road going 50 kilometers an hour in a 50 zone with your seatbelt on and then some crazy fucker T-boned you because they were texting on their cell phone. It's not like that at all. Like you intentionally put yourself in this situation. Just like when I go in the backcountry and, you know, getting bluff charged by grizzly bears. It's like I put myself there. But I've come to peace with I might die. And I've been in that situation enough where now when I get in that situation, there's this odd, grotesque calmness that comes with it. Because it's like, this has happened before. You have to accept the inevitable reality. But would you, as a billionaire stepson, would you have already come to that same place? Of just knowing and finding some kind of peace that you might die. Because there's nothing you can do down there. Like when you look at when some people get lost or when groups of people get lost, like a plane crash in the Amazon rainforest or something, you typically, if you work really hard, you know, like you can make shelter and find food, even if that resorts back to cannibalism. But when you know you're going to run out of oxygen, when there's no more oxygen left to breathe where you are, there's nothing you can do about that. There's literally nothing you can do about that. So I know this is kind of a, an interesting podcast to be able to talk about in the morning, especially if you're going to listen to it to start your day. But like, man, can you imagine what those people went through or are going through? 